Welcome to RCSD Thinks with your host, Kyle and Dean, where we talk about the thinking classroom and other mathematical best practices. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast originated on Treaty 4 territory, traditional unceded lands of the Nahiawak, Nakaway, and Nakoda, homeland of the Métis, Lakota, and Dakota. All right, welcome to another episode of RCSD Thanks, and uh, this time we're switching up a little bit. Um, and just Kyle and I are going to have a, a quick little chat here about some of the things going on. And, you know, Kyle's been kind of the lead and the instrument uh, of change here in our division to uh, with the Thinking Classroom. So that would be really cool to ask him a few questions about how this path has started and where it's going and where he hopes it, it leads to. So uh, welcome, Kyle, to our big show. There's yeah. the two of us here. Uh so can you just explain what your official title is in Regina Catholic Schools and what types of responsibilities are associated with your position? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's changed a number of times since I started about four years ago. Um, yeah, I think officially now it's the numeracy and science consultant, um, learning consultant. So previously it was math and science, you know, and, and it all boils down to the same thing. Um, and I don't know the exact job description off the top of my head, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm responsible for, you know, PD for our teachers, resources for our teachers. Uh, there's some coaching mixed in there. There's, uh, you know, running PD on PD days, you know, connecting with, you know, other organizations, all those different kind of things. But at the end of the day, um, what gets me excited about this job is working with teachers and getting into classrooms. And the thinking classroom has really been a avenue to do that in the last year or two. Yeah, it's amazing because you're responsible for what, like 26 elementary schools, four high schools? Yeah, something, something like something that. Yeah, that? yeah, like, yeah. So that's a, that's a lot for, for one person in my humble Yeah, opinion. you know, and just like everywhere else in the province, and probably in Canada, you know, or it would be nice to have a team, but that's just not our reality. Um, you know, we used to have a numeracy coach that supported and then unfortunately lost that position last year. So kind of a, a lone wolf on this journey, but, you know, trying to find teachers in every one of those buildings that can carry some of this stuff forward for sure. Awesome. So you mentioned, uh, you know, part of your uh, responsibilities is PD and stuff. So obviously this last uh, year and a bit, uh, you, you know, you've kind of really introduced building the thinking classroom uh, to Regina. Catholic schools, teachers. So what got you started with that personally? And then what was what got you really hooked? And you realized that, hey, this is something really cool and then decided to champion it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think I mentioned this in our, you know, intro to us podcast episode or whatever. But basically, you know, a number of years ago, I was in this role trying to find some PD to learn more about this role. Because I, you know, I had taught grades six through 12, math, science, STEM, all those things. But especially primary math, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I'm not even sure if I still know what I'm doing. Um, but I was seeking out PD for myself so I could better support our teachers here in the school division. Um, you know, and then I stumbled across some stuff on number talks that was being hosted in Saskatoon and, you know, queued that up and was able to get some teachers in front of that. But I also saw this, you know, Peter Lillydoll and it was, you know, it looked interesting. And then I did some listening and some looking uh, online and was able to discover, Hey, there's something to this here. There's, there's something that maybe we should be looking at. And I had never heard anything about it. Um, I'd kind of been away from the Twitter math ed verse for a while, um, more immersed in ed tech instead. And, 
and uh, this kind of got me restarted so that year uh, you know our numeracy coach at the time Lisa and I uh, hit the road went to Saskatoon participated in a workshop with Peter face to face Um, and you know from the first two minutes it was like nothing I'd ever experienced and if anyone's ever attended a workshop with Peter or engaged in thinking classrooms through a PD session you realize there's something different here but there's something that really clicks and that really got us started when we you know left that session uh, we were you know we had a two and a half hour or so drive back and we were talking like this is something we need to get into our teachers hands how do we do that and we kind of had hit a wall there because the only exposure we had to thinking classrooms at the time was that workshop that we had participated in and uh, you know you know we were going to misremember things and and we did Um, but we took some of those ideas and we included them in some PD we were running the next day and already it was different and it was better Um, I think the big game changer for us on the thinking classrooms was when uh, Peter released his book Um, that orange book that you see all over our school division right yeah you got your copy right there I've got my copy autograph copy autograph copy yeah that's 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 a pretty special thing um and you know that book was the game changer for us because that gave us an avenue to put it into more hands without having to get you know sub-release time or whatever um teachers could read it as they wished and teachers did you know we slipped it into a few hands strategically i think yours being one of them and uh you know the rest is history it just it took on a life of its own and we're continuing to learn that it's taken on an even bigger life than we even knew there's teachers who bought the book themselves um, and have been diving in and weren't even on our radar so uh pretty pretty remarkable and profound to see that uh take off on its own and it just speaks to the the power of these practices and the appetite for teachers who want to do something different and better for their students yeah the book definitely gives you a nice roadmap and it gives you different entry points in and mm-hmm. it definitely scaffolds as well you know, yeah you yeah. know and it def- definitely makes you think and one really cool thing we'll get into the book maybe a little later on but i always liked uh, inside the book how peter really with his frequently uh, yeah. asked questions almost anything you know how you're saying how do you roll it out and that type of thing like he answers a lot of the I things know. all the roadblocks he does a really nice job of that when i was reading the book the first few chapters you'll see on my margins i've got questions i'm like i want to ask this question i want to look into this and then they would be addressed in FAQ. So later on in the book, I just stopped asking those questions because I knew they were coming. And without a doubt, Peter's already addressed those. And he's run so much P- some P- so much PD with teachers that he's heard all the questions that we have. And, you know, he's, he's addressed them. He's uh, looked into the research. You know, all those different pieces have come into play. So that's that's also a really good piece of the, the book that made a big difference for us. Definitely. That's, yeah, it's easy to get behind something like that, uh, for sure. So, you know, it's been about, it's about what, a year, year and a half? Yeah, I think since we've officially started to try to spread those ideas into classrooms yeah i think we could say since mid of last school year so yeah so when the rubbers actually hit the road and it's actually in the class like you know people are reading the book and getting ideas what have you noticed with some of the initial you know samplings of teachers using this with their students you know how has it looked and you know how's the implementation gone uh in your opinion yeah i think you know the 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 teachers who have taken that leap of faith uh, on their own um when I do have that conversation with them, they're often, you know, saying something along the lines that they'll never go back. And often many of them are still working through how do they do this full time? How do they go thinking classrooms all the way? Because, you know, as we've talked about before, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of, um, you know, practice as a teacher that you need to change. Um, so it's not something you can just flip the switch overnight. And that's slowly happening. Um, you know, but one of the best parts of my role is I get to go into a classroom. I get to model a thinking classroom and, you know, let the teacher sit back and watch their students, which is not something teachers actually get to do a lot yeah, right they're they're 
managing a classroom. They're, you know, trying to get the curriculum, their lesson plan through with the limited time they have. So they don't really get to watch their students learn and behave. And um, it's pretty remarkable. I would say without a doubt, without fail, every single time I've modeled this thinking classroom to teachers, they come back to me and they're like, I had no idea this student can could do this or they have not done anything for me all year and they led their group what what is going on here right like those are the things that continually happen um so those are the initial reactions we get and then from there that's the launching point we've got teachers hooked they're interested what do i do next how do i do this where do i find the tasks um you know can you come back tomorrow all those different things end up happening and uh you know i'm lucky we've we've got some good resources we can send to teachers for tasks and and where to get started and and now we're at a point where um in most of our schools i can say you know what if this is new to you like let's go talk to so and so down the hall who has been you know immersing themselves in it over the last year so that that's pretty powerful and and it's nice and like i mentioned earlier we don't have a team to deploy this in our school division but we have a lot of teachers out there so you know i could not do this myself um so the teachers that are out there doing the good work like you and so many of the other teachers we've talked to and me who we haven't talked to yet they're the ones that are championing this and doing all the good work to to make this um really impact our students in the long run yeah, yeah i agree with 100 like with our podcast uh listening to some of the other stories that teachers are doing inspires me and, and helps me too and yeah i've definitely be one of you know i'm a a convert for lack of a better way of saying it because I've been using it I, I dove in day one uh, this semester you know but I had the background in, in that and I've had lots of great support which has been good and I've noticed that from you and from the division and from administration is that uh, this people are behind this like people yeah. realize you know that this is best practice and this is good for kids yeah so, and, and, and so. I think you know speaking about the administrator support uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that we have going for us in our school division and that we're starting to see other school divisions do as well is a lot of change in schools happens from you know the, per, the administrator the person sitting in the big chair um, and they're the, the curriculum ones, leader the, the curriculum leaders too right in our high schools that's how we're structured that makes that that's who we got to yeah. get to um, so we did a lot of work very focused work early on getting Peter's work the a copy of the book a little webinar in front of every single one of our administrators and that was the game changer because when we walk into a school now an administrator knows what we're talking about yeah. they know what the teachers are asking about um, they They've, they've been through it. They've experienced the thinking classroom so they can speak to the power of what it is. Um, and and a lot of that change is happening because our administrators are suggesting, hey, have you thought about this? Reach out to Kyle, reach out to so-and-so, reach out to whoever. Um, and, and then that propels things forward, right? If we didn't have that support from our, you know, our school-based administrators, but also our upper administrators, superintendents and director, um, I'm not sure if we would be where we are today. Yeah, I agree. Like I know uh, talking with our principal here at O'Neill, uh, he's behind it and he's really, he, like because of that experience that he had, mm-hmm. he knows that this, and that's kind of the cool thing is that when you experience something for yourself, yeah. then it's just not like some book or something mm-hmm. somebody said, people have engaged in it and they're like, yeah, I did that process process myself it 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 works and I can see this being good for kids Mm -hmm. uh, you know for sure so um, so you've mentioned this a lot already but maybe it's just break down because I know you've done a lot of work with as part of your position but especially with the building the thinking classrooms Uh, what types of professional development opportunities have been offered to support uh, building the thinking classrooms and yeah so it's been we've we've done we've tried a number of different things Um, we started out uh, last year 
with uh, a book club for teachers. So teachers could opt in. Um, we'd send them a copy of the book. Then we'd meet, I think it was bi-weekly, roughly every two weeks or so, give or take. You know, we had some situations where we stretched it out a little bit longer and we'd go through a couple chapters, um, usually about a chapter per week. And that was a really good way to get our initial, you know, I'm going to call them learn uh, thinking classroom catalysts on board. Um, you were part of that group. You know what that looked like. Yeah. Uh, so Great we, conversations. Yeah, so we got into some really deep conversations. And, you know, it's one thing to read the book. It's another thing to talk to your colleagues within the same school division in the same context about the realities of how this actually applies or how do we get around this specific issue that we're running into in our schools and and I thought I found that was really powerful and that was good PD for me too right um, and everyone involved I think took away a lot of different things we had high school teachers we had grade two teachers right that that was pretty good for teachers yeah, to be able to see day. that bird's eye view of how this all can connect yeah. um, you know and then beyond that like I mentioned we, we set up a webinar with Peter and our administrators that was a pretty prof- profound thing that happened um, and then we've been really lucky enough to be able to collaborate with other local school divisions or in the Regina area um, by bringing Peter in offering PD and and, you know, teachers from our division, the Regina Public Division, you know, Prairie Valley and, and other divisions were able to join us um, just because it's, you know, costs are budgets are tight and costs are, you know, high. So to make it all work, that that's one of the strategic ways we did that. So we've had, I think my last count, about 200 teachers get in front of Peter in the last uh, year and a half, which is pretty, uh, pretty remarkable um, and not something I've ever been able to do up until this point in my in my role. Um, you know, and then beyond that, we've uh, engaged in some uh, we've done a second book club with a different cohort of teachers. Uh, we plan which just wrapped up uh, the other day uh, and uh, We'll do another one probably next year. You know, we're not ready to pile on to teachers at this point in the school year, given, you know, what things have looked like over the last yeah. few years. Um, you know, and then and then beyond that, uh, we've uh, we've we're planning. We haven't had this happen yet, but planning some days where teachers from grade alike groups. So a bunch of grade six teachers get together. They come together. They make some of those assessment maps. They, you know, find the tasks that are going to work with this particular outcome, kind of do some planning and some engagement on that level to support teachers and then ultimately share those. So teachers who are new have a starting point a launching point because this is a big beast to take on and if we can help uh ease that transition into it that that's kind of where i'm hoping to take things um yeah you know and then the other thing that we do with schools specifically and we've had other divisions replicate this is i'll go in I'll get some time in front of a staff for a staff meeting, which, you know, usually usually we have half an hour, so it's not a ton of time. I model thinking classroom. They're the students. We do the task. Usually it's tax collector. Sometimes it's a, uh, you know, um, uh, the answers are. That's the one from the book as well. And we run through it. We debrief. And then that afternoon or the next day or even that morning, whatever it is, uh, I set up in the library a thinking classroom and teachers bring in their class for 45 minutes. We model it. We talk about it. I have different tasks depending on the grades. And then uh, that's our launching point. And, and, you know, some teachers are like, you know what, this is really cool. I'm not, I don't see it yet. And that's okay. Um, but there's usually a handful of teachers are like, hey, what do I do? How do we do this? How do I build this into my practice? And that's our launching point. Um, you know, I don't want to force this on anyone given how difficult the last few years have been in classrooms. Um, and, and I'm confident the teachers, when they're ready and have, you know, some of that mental bandwidth ready, that they, they'll dive in. But th- those are the kind of the things that we've done in our school division um, and that seem to have worked really well. So we'll see how this evolves and changes over the the next few years. I'm hoping we can continue this work. Um, I can't see, even if I wanted to stop it, I don't think I can. It's got so much yeah, momentum. It so. definitely does. And I've noticed too that you guys have, uh, you've done a great job of putting together resources 
yeah. with that air table that you share but there there's definitely communities out there too that people mm-hmm. can tap into and stuff too so if somebody's trying but uh, I really love that you're sharing your journey and and hopefully with people listening and I know myself too can see that this this isn't just oh this is this looks like something fun to do it's not just like oh let's pick this out there what's the soup of the day or you know some mm-hmm. teachers always kind of go like oh we just wait this out yeah. you know <laughs> we'll, we'll, you can get back to what I was doing before but I don't see this here with everything you've put together and the support from admin and and, and central office and you know and, and yeah I do agree once you meet Peter himself like and this so there's lots of supports uh, for that and you were kind of going that but I wouldn't mind like you know you, you see this and this is still relatively new there's maybe some divisions in some different places um, you know around Canada or North America that have maybe used the building the thinking classroom a little bit longer but like we're still kind of in its infancy a little bit but where do you see things going in the next couple of years or what would be your end game or you're like yeah we did it kind of like woohoo yeah, I mean, you know, the the dream is to have every classroom doing a version of this on the regular basis. Uh, I am fully realistic, you know, and I realize that's just not going to happen. Um, we just don't have the supports in place to make, to be able to support everyone in that journey at this time. Maybe we'll get there. Um, you know, so one of the things, you know, when, when we were getting this going and I was asking for budget to make it happen and, you know, those conversations that were happening, they kind of asked like, well, what's the, what's the end game? So kind of the same question you just asked me. And, and my thing was, I hope we can have, you know, at least half of our teachers teachers in the school division have tried a version of it within the next five years. So, you know, trying to be realistic about that implementation, that timeline, um, you know, but that's, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're asking, because I think the other piece of this question is really the impact on students and learning. And, and what does that mean? Right. And we've talked about that. You've mentioned it like you, you kind of you're not you're not ready to retire anytime soon because you want to see what this looks like long term. And, and so do I. And, and I don't know what it's going to look like. But, you know, in our conversation that we just had with Jeremy, you know, he said, like, it's interesting because maybe the marks aren't different but man do my kids understand right. at a deeper level and that's what i'm really excited about because if you look at the curriculum you know k all the way through 12 it builds on itself right yeah. and, and often when a kid moves from say grade six to grade seven we start the school year as a grade seven teacher thinking hey they know everything from grade six we're just going to jump into grade seven and that's never never actually the case and it took me a long time to realize that yeah. um often those kids have you know things have slid in their mind they they never really understood to start with or they just memorized it, got done the test, and moved on. Through this way, I see our kids having a deeper understanding. And when they go to that next year, when that outcome is designed to build on what happened the whole previous year, they'll actually have a stronger foundation. Yeah. And that stronger foundation will carry them further so they'll understand that one better. And that foundation just strengthens every single time they're exposed to it. Um, so, so that's really where I'm hoping things end up going. Uh, it w- will be interesting to see because we do have a number of schools where some consecutive grade teachers, like all the grade five to eight teachers, are dabbling in this thinking classroom. Right. What does that look like in four years when those grade fives become the grade eights? Yeah, or come here, or, or end up in your know, classroom, yeah, yeah. right? Like, I don't know what that looks like, yeah. um, and I don't know if there's other jurisdictions that that has happened in yet. But I'm really interested to see um, if you don't have to spend the time getting kids up to speed on this. What is this? You really can hit the ground running, exactly. and then not only will you get through your curriculum faster, like Peter talks about in the book and in his workshops, you get 
deeper into it. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the one thing I'd like to see with this too, is then we have been talking about like, uh, you know, even a lot of about assessment. Mm-hmm. And I think this parallels perfectly with what I think changes in assessment need to be, especially, you know, in a math classroom, sure. yeah. right? Some high stakes tests and, and that too. And you catch p- kids like this gives kids an opportunity to learn, to catch up, to redo things. But you can also catch the kid doing something and like, you know, the student and you, and you talk to them and like, well, you got it. You didn't get it before, but you got it now. So let's, let's go. Like you've met that outcome. Like let's, mm-hmm. it's not like, well, it's too bad you didn't know it a week ago yeah. because when you did that test, you know, and that's what I'm hoping to see with this is that students get a love for learning. Uh, I came up with a little phrase the other day. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not okay to say IDK. Yeah. Like, you know, you can say, I don't know, but it's not okay just to stay there. Like, okay, all right, what do we, what do we know? What, how do we, and I want those problem solvers. I want those, you know, kids that are going to be critical thinkers. Like, cause that's what the world needs down the road. They don't need somebody who, as we've talked before and you, you know, you talk somebody who can mimic something and then give it back. Like, you know, especially with technology and stuff, mm-hmm. that, that's definitely way down on the skills needed. You need to be that problem solver. You need to be that, okay, what do we got? What don't we know? What do we know? What? And you got to be able to work with other people exactly. and different types of people and you got to take lead and you got to go back. So that's where, that's where yeah. I want to see it go. And, 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 and Peter talks about this and this is a quote, I think maybe from the book, definitely from his workshop, thinking is what we do and we don't know what to do, right? Like when we grew up, hey, you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket. Well, how what? Shazam. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Everyone's got more than a calculator. They've got bet something better than a graphing calculator in their pocket that does way more. Um, but our students today, especially given the, you know, the context of the world we're living in, they're going to see things we're not even able to imagine exactly. at this point. Um, and, you know, these students are going to live into the, the, the 2000 and hundreds, yeah. 2100, right? Yeah, I had I to think you. about that. There's yeah, some yeah. math going on in my head. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, to think about. So we want to prepare them to be able to approach a situation that they don't know. They have no idea where to start, but they can, they've done it so many times. They've accessed their tool belt of what they do know. And then every time they encounter that, they add more to their tool belt and they can, they can approach those different things. So it's less, you know, as much as content and curriculum is, is essential in a math classroom, this thinking is, is really key. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the game changer that I've seen so far. No, I just like, like you mentioned, and I mentioned to you is like, this might put a few years on in my career because it's pretty mm-hmm. exciting and I can definitely uh, yeah no, I'm definitely hooked as well so it's really exciting um, just switch gears kind of going back a little sure. bit you mentioned the book club and that uh, can you give a quick like book review of building the thinking classroom in mathematics like what could a reader be expected to learn like you, we've kind of touched on it a little bit but sure. yeah. you know you've done it a lot you've done a really nice job and yeah, yeah look? I think you know, just some context, you know, in my role, I have, you know, a shelf of like pretty much all the math PD books that, you know, have been released, at least in Canada. Um, you know, and I've, I've forced myself through a few of them. They're, they're, they're fantastic. The ideas are really good. They're not necessarily the most engaging readings. Right. And, and, and maybe some of that was ruined for me through university. I just did not get into reading textbooks and, you know, I just forced myself through it. I never really found that, uh, that love for learning through a textbook, right? So, so maybe that's also why I think in classroom speaks to me so much. But when I read Peter's book, uh, not only were the ideas really, really good, they, uh, 
were delivered in such a way that anyone could pick this up. I think a non-educator could pick this book up and understand what Peter's talking about and why we need to make the changes that he's suggesting. Um, so, so you know, at the end of the day, this book is easily accessible to all, all levels of teachers, new, old, um, you know, those that are looking for some inspiration, those who are, you, you know, anyone under the sun could benefit from this book. Um, you know, we talked about the FAQ sections in, in every chapter. So you go through the chapter, he lays out the research, he lays out uh, situations where they've applied this and what happened um, in, in a very easy to digest way. But then he also addresses all the questions in a very like concise way. Um, also backed by research and that's something that is hard to do in such a digestible way and then you know you've got the macro move micro moves at the end of every chapter so you know you've read the book but you don't want to reread this chapter you just want to refresh her here's the bullet points that you need to take care of um and then the other piece is you know the tasks that are included in the book are awesome they are great tasks they're my go-to when i'm delivering pd with teachers and even classrooms i'm just starting to run into teachers and classrooms that have already done some of the tasks so i gotta step outside that comfort zone and you know i would love to see you know, more resources, more rich tasks, you know, compiled. And we're doing our work on that, but there's a lot of work to be done on that. So, um, you know, could not recommend this book enough, um, you know, and I'm not sure if we're planning to get into this, but it's thinking classrooms and mathematics. It doesn't have to be mathematics. We are seeing it in every subject area within our school division. We've got, um, you know, English teachers teaching writing this way. We've got science teachers going through how uh, different reactions are happening in high school chemistry. Uh, you know, I can't name specifics because I don't know those specifics. Um, teachers using it, you know, we're a Catholic school division. So in our religious classes, religion classes, they're using it. Uh, it. It's everywhere. It's it's found its way into every subject area, which really excites me because what I've seen as a teacher in this school division and then now in this role is we bring in a lot of really good PD, a lot of really good ideas, best practices, and they start, you know, let's say in ELA, and then they trickle into other subject areas, but rarely do they trickle into math. Right. In this case, we're starting in math and it's trickling outwards and it's working really well. So that really excites me as someone who's responsible for math for our right. school division um, and as someone with a math background and passionate about math, uh, it's really exciting to see yeah. it start in math and then be adapted to others, other subject areas. And that's amazing for the kids because the kids just, this is what they, this is what we do. That's how you learn. That's how you, yeah. you know, and definitely have to get a, your head around uh, as a teacher, how that looks. But that's what I also liked about the book. It lays out the 14 steps. So if you're kind of a person like, now what do I do? Exactly. You do this. I like how he also chunks it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, if you start with the first three, you know, the, the thinking tasks and non-vertical uh, boards, how vertical non-permanent. Yeah, services. vertical non-permanent. Yeah. yeah, whiteboard. <laughs> Right, and uh, and the random groups, uh, you know, he gives an entry point, and he builds upon it too, and and sections them off at the end there too. It's it's nice, so a person can kind of yeah. see what their comfort level is, and kind of. Uh, so I like the entry points that the book also offers. Yeah, and in, in the book, I mean, the book's great, but the book isn't the only way to learn about these practices, yeah. right? So you know, one of the things that really propelled me on my journey was listening to a different podcast, and that's the Make Math Moments a Matter from Kyle Pierce and John Orr out in Ontario. Uh, and I, I, th- I can't remember. I might be misquoting this, but I think it's episode seven. They had Peter on and he walks through, you know, the background of why this happened and the early recommendations. And then there's a late episode later on where they talk about some of the the things you can do to modify it, to adapt to a, a, a COVID reality classroom, which, you know, let's hope we're on the, the downswing of that. But, uh, you know, if you're not someone who wants to pick up a book and read it or has access to it, there's so many other places to learn about yeah. this. You're not limited to having to buy this book, right. which is pretty powerful and i know peter's really excited to share this message yeah. in any avenue that teachers are willing to listen even on his website he lays out the 
Quincy's website's pretty good too. So it's good good timing for the next question. So I know you've worked with Peter over the last uh, bit here. I've I've got the opportunity to meet him as well. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. He knows his stuff. What's something that if you get to go to one of the workshops and you kind of touch on a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, with Peter himself, like he's pretty engaging. Is there something he's ever said that maybe it's outside the book or something that like Mm -hmm. in your conversations that just kind of like, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, when, well, well, the first thing I'll say is, you know, if you're going to attend a workshop with Peter face to face, you know, maybe it's and, and not a keynote at a big conference where you're, you know, you're going to be sitting, you know, make sure you got those comfy shoes. I think we talked about that with the episode with Sophie, but like you are going to be standing so much that you want to sit with most PD. You're sitting so much. You've got to get up and stand. It's the exact opposite. He flips it. Um, in such an effective way that you're so engaged. And I mean, that's also the experience our teachers have, which is why the, or our students have with the teachers that employ this. So that's why it's so powerful. You know, but outside the book, outside the practices, he's done so much work in so many different areas that's just like, he's just, there's so much great things that are happening at his university with his students and, and you know, with his research. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me, you know, as a, as a curriculum leader within a school division, we were talking a lot about, I was trying to pick his brain about the data we collect. So, you know, we always talk about data informed teaching and all this stuff and you know I, I have issues with the data that we collect and the data I, I genuinely believe it does not tell us what we think it tells us and I think um, a lot of other people in positions like mine I've had this conversation would agree with me um, but we don't have an answer we don't have a better way to do it yet so I was trying to pick his brain about that and he said you know what? it's really hard in math because the thing that we assess always changes in math and, and so I'll lay out what he kind of shared um, and we're doing some work on this right now but he said you know, if you think of ELA, and in our division, you collect data on how students read and how students write. You do it at the start of the year, middle of the year, end of the year, and then you do it again in the next grade, and we repeat that, and we've got this data. We're always assessing reading or writing. And those the criteria for that, they kind of change year to year, but the start of the year to the end of the year, you have like a where they were and where they are now. In math, we collect data. But can you genuinely tell me at the start of the year compared to the end of the year if a student is better at math? It's really difficult to tell because the thing that we assess changes. We're not assessing this. We're not assessing addition all year. Right. We can through some of the assessment practices he talks about, um, but often we're doing. You know, you start with addition and then you have uh, subtraction in there, and then at the end of the year you're doing something with geometry. It's not even connected. So, yeah, the scores might be better at the end of the year, but like, do we actually know if they improved over the course of the year? So, right. what we're trying to think about and what what he challenged me to do, and I'm still working through this, is you know, what can we assess in math that stays the same? Right. There's, you know, what's, what's, what's our, what's our control, right? <laughs> yeah. what, what's the thing that we can assess at the start of the year, at the end of the year? And what, one of the things we've done um, is started to look at, you know, how kids feel in math, how they think about math, how they um, want to be in math. And a lot of that lines with our provincial uh, education plan goals right now, which is mental health and well-being of students. And I genuinely believe if students enjoy being in math class, if they want to be in math class, that's going to be a really good indicator for future math success, especially in a thinking classroom context, because that, that willingness, that attitude, of how you feel in class and how you view math is really going to propel you to try to be successful in that context and and be uh, a successful student in the thinking classroom. So we're trying to find ways to capture some of that. Um, So we've done some growth mindset, some some math mindset kind of based off of Joe Bowler's work uh, and and implemented that and trialed that in a few classrooms where we kind of captured things like um, math is fun. 
how do you feel about that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Right. Math is about knowing the steps to solve a problem. Math is about um, finding the right answer. Math is, you know, harder for girls. Math is harder for boys. Right. We're trying to get into some of those gender inequities that we see within this subject area Um, and going through all those different things like that. And what we often see is those misconceptions are alive and well in our classrooms. Our students not only feel them, they see them every day. And so we try to address that. And that is something that I think we can see start of the year to the end of the year. And one of the things we're trialing, and we'll see how it turns out, is we gave some kids this questionnaire, this survey uh, at the start of the year. And then we did some work with thinking classrooms within those classrooms. And now we're gonna do it again later in this year, probably pretty soon here to see if how they feel and how they view math has changed through this, because I think that's a really valuable piece of data that teachers can also act on, right? If you've got a class of kids that think math is all about getting the right answer, we're gonna have to talk a lot about the process over product, right? Um, and, or if you have kids, a class who believes math is harder for boys or girls or whichever one, um, we need to talk about some of those gender inequity pieces that, that exist within, you know, academia and math yeah. especially. So uh, that that's one of the things we're, we're venturing down. So, you know, that's a long way of saying that's something that's not necessarily in the book, but something that I'm really thankful Peter has challenged my thinking on. And, and now we've shared that with other consultants in the province and we're having those conversations. How do we do this? Um, I think we know we can do better, but how do we do this? So um, no, no actual answers here, but yeah. I mean, that that's what uh, Peter does. He gets you to think. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Okay. Well, you know, when you're sitting there, I'm like, you, you know, you're talking about the students, which is who it should be all about. But unless the teacher wants to dive into this, yeah. you know, and I know from a high school perspective, whether it's right, wrong, good, bad, or ugly, that's different opinions on that. Um, you know, you're like, there's always sometimes that um, I got to get them ready for university thing. And this is the best. And I yeah. got to cover you know, the curriculum. So on day four, I got to be here. Mm-hmm. I have no, I'll maybe do, I'll try a thinking classroom task. I uh, just prefer Christmas as a filler. Oh, that was nice. But then it's right back to the, you know, the, the grind, right? The notes mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the mimicking in my opinion. But so what would be something that you'd say to someone who would just say that this is just a fad or it's not really real math. It's just like math makes sense or doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. That uh, what would you kind of, what would be your like, like, hey, hang on time out this is the real deal and this is why you know there's a lot of layers to that that question and i think um some of the resistance we see to say thinking classrooms or any best practice in a math classroom comes down to teachers understanding of math um and as i've learned in this role you know i was a great math student i was awesome at mimicking i could mimic with the best of them um you know i was one of those kids who stepped into university calculus and could just not even worry about it because i could see those steps i could copy them i could make it happen i could apply it to some new situations once in a while um and then in my later uh classes, my math education courses, I hit a wall. Mimicking is not possible when you're talking about, uh, you know, abstract algebra and stuff like that. I mean, maybe it is. I couldn't figure it out. But uh, so you start to hit that wall. And then what I've realized is some kids hit that wall in grade two, right? They're not able to mimic. They, they, they're not seeing those connections the way that I had. And that's, there's nothing wrong with those students, but we need to find a better way to reach them. So circling back, the point I'm trying to make here is our teachers often don't necessarily have the understanding that we need to be able to teach math in a really deep way. So a defense mechanism is to just like, let's avoid this new way because I'm really comfortable using the textbook and the things that I've been doing for years. And it seems to be working because I'm getting results on the assessments. And as we know, mimicking works really great in the short term. It starts to fall apart 
part in the long term. And that's why we start to see, you know, we talked about data and not liking the data, but the data we do have does tell us that things start to drop, um, you know, grade three, four, and then by grade eight. And then, you know, high school is a different beast because the data we collect in high school is totally different than we collect in our elementary schools. Um, but, you know, that, that that's part of it. So I think... Part of this is helping our teachers understand math at a greater level, at a deeper level, and understanding how the concepts connect and how, you know, when we're very intentional about things and it might take longer and the results might be harder to get, but the kids are going to carry it forward further. I think that's a big piece of it. So that's one layer to this question. The other layer is, um, you know, teachers have a lot going on, right? And I, I understand that. I've seen that over the last few years. I struggled with it when I was in the classroom. Struggle with it now, not in the classroom. Um, you know, so you need to understand that teachers have a lot going on. They, they need, um, and they need help. They need support. They need to know that the risks that they're taking is worth something and it's going to pay, pay off. And I think for some teachers, they need to see what that looks like. So when I run into these types of teachers, we do, you know, a few different things. Uh, either I sit down with them and walk them through what a thinking classroom might look like, see where they're at. Do they see themselves in the, in the book, in the practices? And, uh, you know, if, if that's a yes, then we're off to the races and, and I can help them there they're not sure or they just heard about it or their friend at another school has heard about it, but they, you know, they're maybe interested in doing it. Um, I say, you know what, why don't I come into your classroom and just teach a lesson? Why don't you not plan anything? Sit back. I'll come in. I usually have a couple tasks planned just in case they've seen this or whatever. Um, and give them a little bit of a break, and then we, we, we do that modeling, then we have a conversation, what'd you like about this? And then usually there's enough things in there. I'm like, okay, what, like, what do you need to be able to do this yourself? And then we have that conversation about what the next steps are. Sometimes we have the, the conversations about, I have too much curriculum to get through, and I think we talked about this with Jeremy. Yeah. Um, and I gotta cover my curriculum. And and the cover my curriculum has been something that's that phrase has bugged me for a long time, because in math especially, I don't think you wanna cover the curriculum, you want students to uncover the curriculum. Exactly. You want them to discover it. We want them to, you know, be curious about it and, and go through inquiry to be able to, you know, discover the math. Because when you discover it, even if the language or the the way they write it isn't exactly right, the concepts are being established in their brain in a different way than if you told them or I told them that these are the steps of how you, you know, add two digit numbers or, you know, solve a quadratic equation, right? Those are, um, if they can find a way to do that, that's much more powerful and deeper for students. So um, some of it's a shift um, that yes, you've got a lot of curriculum to cover, but you know, you will also make up time if you change things up because your students will get deeper understanding and you don't have to spend a bunch of days reviewing all the time if the students already have a deeper understanding. You can focus on the specific misconceptions they have or the specific issues they're running into. So, um, you know, in every situation is different. When a teacher's resistant to it, there's, you know, every situation's a little bit different. And I think at the end of the day, as a curriculum leader, as someone who ends up doing some coaching with teachers, I got to meet teachers where they're at. Um, and I certainly don't want to force anyone to do anything that they're not comfortable with. And I think if you can kind of kill them with kindness and uh, show them, you know, what this looks like and support them as best as you can, then 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 you have a hope of moving things forward. Yeah. If I go in and if we did as a school division said everyone had to do thinking see classroom, everyone, yeah. we would see some terrible things happening yeah. in our classroom and not for the right reasons. Yeah. So um, we're not forcing it on anyone. We're, we won't force it on anyone, um, not while I'm in this chair at least, um, but we want to encourage people to at least dabble in it. Right. Because when you see a thinking classroom, you see all these great things happening in your students, 
why wouldn't you want to do a version of that every day, every lesson, every class, every topic, every whatever you want your students to engage at that level um, as much as possible? Yeah, I know from personal experience, just watching my own students, like I've done some traditional notes and they're just, I don't, I just, I, I don't like it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, you know, like uh, to have the students go in, I've heard some just amazing conversations. And like you mentioned earlier, I've just seen some students that you might not have expected, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of shine. There's still some resistance with some of the students because a lot of them have been trained for almost all the grade 12s, yeah. you know, 12, 13 years in one certain way of thinking and, and that too. But uh, yeah, I really I like, I really like what you say, it really resonates with me too. And, and I think you're starting to get a groundswell of people already doing it so it's almost like if you're not doing it people you know the kids are gonna that's gonna be the way right the kids it'll are gonna be interesting like, to see yeah yeah like, hey can we learn math you know can we do mm-hmm. some questions up on the whiteboards and mm-hmm. can we get in our groups and can you just get out of our way and let us yep. figure it out and if you have something to share with us help us out well one of the, the neat things that you see is you know when teachers are doing a mix of these two and they give say some students some individual work group work whatever projects and they're able to keep the, the vertical non-permanent services up and running you'll see kids naturally gravitate to those services and work on them without even being asked to without being put in a random group um it just is a becomes a more natural way for them to work and think and and it becomes a safe place um so that's that's pretty pretty neat that you see students seeing the value in it as well and i'm looking forward to hopefully talking to some students about this uh, in the next month or two yeah so this has been amazing and hopefully we have another conversation down this too and have some more things out before we wrap this up is there anything that i you know anything you'd like to add or any other points you'd like to make just something that no i haven't talked about i think at the end of the day the success that we've seen with this boils down to the teachers in the classrooms the teachers who have been you know despite a global pandemic you know crazy crazy things and restrictions and challenges and and literally getting sick and ill um they've still stepped up to the plate and have done an amazing job thinking classrooms are not but especially those who have taken that i said it a few times that leap of faith into the thinking classrooms during a global pandemic during global, uh, all this uncertainty in our world uh you know kudos to them they're the ones that are uh, that are making this happen and ultimately impacting our students in such an amazing way so i'm forever grateful to every teacher who's tried this out but also every teacher who has worked through all of this because uh you know this was not easy for anyone and you know it's not over yet, but, um, you know, the things that have emerged of it are pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. No, well, thanks for the work you're doing and will continue to do. And I'm looking forward to more uh, chats. So thanks for spending some time with me this yeah. morning. Thanks, Dean. You've been listening to RCSD Thinks with your hosts, Kyle and Dean. Stay tuned for more conversations on the thinking classroom and other mathematical best practices. Until next time, keep those thinking caps on. Mm-hmm.